Hi, this is Brian Hyland. Remember me? I'm the guy that did Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. And right now you're listening to the Robert Miller podcast, All of That Dream. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 192 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is Dennis Tufano, the lead singer of the Buckinghams, the band which had a string of hits in the 60s, including Kind of a Drag, Don't You Care, Mercy, 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 and many others. Dennis later sang the theme song to the Family Ties TV show. He's worked with Bernie Taupin of Elton John fame and with Olivia Newton-John. And he's an actor too. And to top it all off, he's producing and starring in a production about Bobby Darin. And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, Dennis and I are going to do a song fest. We're going to play a whole bunch of those great songs by the Buckinghams, and we're going to talk about them and get the backstories, and it's going to be great. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And you know, I always have a featured song of mine in every episode and underneath the introduction and at the end. And I try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest or to the subject matter. And my featured song in this episode is a song that I wrote called Cannonball, and it was recorded by the Robert Miller Group. Follow this. I wrote Cannonball to honor Joe Zawinul of Weather Report fame, who previously played with Cannonball Adderley. And while he was with Cannonball Adderley, Zawinul wrote the original version of Mercy, 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 the instrumental version, which became a top five hit later on for the Buckinghams after Johnny Guitar Watson and Larry Williams wrote the lyrics to the song. How about that? So Dennis Tufano, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you guys, the Buckinghams, they were such a great band. I mean, I loved that band growing up. I had a high school band, okay? Uh-huh. And it was called the Buccaneers, okay? And we, we used to play... <laughs> everything that was on the radio at the time. And, and we must've had three or four of your songs in our set list because you know, you guys were, you were on the radio everywhere at that time in the 60s. I know, I know, I know. We tried to slow them down, but. You couldn't, I mean, it was no, just one no. after another. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So tell me this, it's the middle of the British invasion. You got all these bands from England led by the Stones and the Beatles coming over here. And you guys are cranking out one hit after another in the U.S. What was it like? Oh, God, it was uh, exciting, confusing. It was like, oh, what is really happening here? Because everybody got inspired. Everybody got buzzed by, by the British invasion. I mean, it was a different sound, a different instrumentation. Uh, it was, uh, you know, just different looking bands and, and, and just... We were we were we jumped right on it. We were big fans of the Beatles. I mean, that's basically how the band got together. You know, our drummer John Polis, uh, who started the band, came to us at a dance that we used to go to, 
and said, look, I got a band that can hardly play, but they can't sing at all. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, my, and a partner of mine, we had an acapella group called the Darcells. And my partner, George, and I well, were asked to be the front men for his band. And that was actually our first step into the big time as far as you know, being in a band. We were just street corner singers before that. So that's how it kind of started. And it was because of the Beatles that they needed to have somebody who could sing you know, with harmonies and different things. So, so that was kind of our beginning. And it was really thrilling to sit there and listen to 45s you know, on Capitol Records and, and hear the Beatles and going, what is this? You know? So <laughs> yeah, we, that, that was a big, that was like 1964, 65. All right. Who came up with the name the Buckinghams? Well, that's a good question. Uh, we were we had a battle of the bands for this uh, WGN TV in Chicago, local station, a very big station now, and uh, they had a show called All Time Hits, and they needed a, a rock and roll band to play the rock and roll hits of that week because they had you know theatrical singers, they had this, uh, standard singers, they had uh, Billy Williams, who sang, you know, I'm going to sit right down and write myself a letter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was on the show. And so we won. And, and to be the rocker, we had to perform live. Uh, we did Beatles songs. We did all kinds of whatever was a hit that week. We had to perform. And so in rehearsals, we were called at the time the Pulsations, because that was a name that moved when you played dances, you know, it was okay. like, it was a, it was a pit. pulsated. You yes, pulsated exactly. and the band yeah, we pulsated. pulsated. Exactly. Okay. Got it. And, uh, and then people would hire us just because the name was active. So they came to us and they said, look, because of the, the British invasion, because this was 1965 now the show. Uh, he said, uh, do you think you could change your name to something more English sounding? And we, we said, well, yeah, we're just a local band. I mean, it's not like we, we have records or anything out. We could probably change our name. And, you know, to launch it, we had 13 shows to do on this TV show. So that would be a good place to introduce a new name. And uh, so we said, we'll think about it. The next day, we came back to rehearsals and the uh, 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 security guard, this guy, John, uh, who had kind of suspiciously long hair for 1965. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he had a uniform on us up, but he handed us a, a little piece of paper and said, look, I heard what they asked you to do yesterday. He says, I made a list of names that might, you might consider. So he had about 20 names on there, some really cool names, you know. And, but we got to Buckingham's and we went, that's it. Because we have a big fountain in Chicago in, in Grant Park called Buckingham Fountain. And so we said, well, that sounds English, and yet we still have another foot in Chicago. And the, the, the kind of a drag album, when we finally got to that, we took our picture in front of Buckingham Fountain uh -huh. at night because it's a big fountain. It's a landmark. So, so that became our name, the Buckingham. You know, it, it's true. It does sound English. Okay. I didn't know about the fountain because I'm not from Chicago. No, but that's, yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but we, we definitely picked it because we didn't want to like betray our Chicago roots and say we were English just because the show wanted us to. But this worked out perfectly when the guy gave us that on the list. We said, well, this is perfect. It's, it's about the fountain. It's about us and the British invasion. And a lot of people say that we were very clever to do that. And we weren't <laughs> clever at all. We just had a reason for it because a lot of people thought we were English. 
So when a lot of American groups were having trouble getting on the air, they were playing us thinking that we were English, you know. I hope you gave some royalties to that security guard. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he, he's in, he was in a thousand interviews. I'm telling you, he, yeah, he was great. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was the beginning of it, you know, and it, it, we just became that band. And, uh, and that's when we actually got all of our, our the, the members that were the band together. It was always progressive. You know, one guy would leave and another guy would come in and we'd look for a better player or this or that. And then we finally came up with the group that we wanted to see, you know. And uh, yeah, so that, was, that launched us being a, a, a faux English band, you know. And you probably had the look as well. Did you have like the beetle boots and the collarless jacket and all of that stuff? Oh, yeah, we had we we got everything. We were like one of the well, in Chicago, most of the bands dressed alike anyway. They dressed up, uh -huh. you know, especially in the 60s. There was like suits and ties or fancier jackets, you know, or blazers or something like that. So we always had the same suits. And uh, and then we started growing our hair and instead of it going back, it started to come forward. And we start all of a sudden we had beetle cuts and uh, and we were dressing up a lot. So people just assumed because the whole look of the British invasion was new clothing. Right. It was that new look, that new look that nobody ever saw before. And so we were then getting into it, you know, and I, I guess that helped a little bit, too. Like, you know, people were uh, kind of uh, blown away by the English, you know, all of a sudden and. And they uh, actually, we did we did the Smothers Brothers show, and we had with Mercy and Don't You Care was out at the time, and we we did the Smothers Brothers show. We walked into the studio, and uh, Tommy Smothers came out and was so excited to have us on the show. And he said, "Oh, we we love your music, and we're so happy you got to be on the show." And we said, "Look, we're big fans of yours. We're happy to be on the show too." And he goes, well, "Where's your accent? You don't have accents." <laughs> we said, "Yeah." We said, yeah, we have Chicago <laughs> accents. You know, it's like, what do you mean? He goes, we thought you were English. And they had a set built that was gigantic of all Union Jack, all Union Jack flags, all British flags. And it was like, and he said, oh my God, we're gonna have to change the set. We said, no, no, don't bother with that. It's a gigantic set. We, we got to shoot this thing later this afternoon. And he says, okay, he says, thank you. And uh, of course, they don't interview you on that show. So nobody ever heard us speak. They just heard us singing. And we looked behind the, in front of the Union Jack flags, we looked like English band. And America was introduced to that brand new English act, okay, called the Buckinghams. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's great. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. You're listening to my new single, The Fall of Winter a collaboration with legendary rocker Jim Peterick from the Ides of March and formerly with Survivor and featuring renowned guitarist Elliot Randall of Steely Dan fame and keyboard player Tony Carey. The reviewers have called the fall of winter a triumph and flexes real rock muscles. The track is available now for streaming on Spotify, Apple, and all the other streaming platforms. And also for download at the pgsstore.com. And you must check out the lyric video of the song on YouTube. The show notes have all the links. Thanks for listening and keep on rocking.
All right, listen, we got a lot of music of yours to play, so I want to get right into this. The first big hit that you guys had, am I correct? It was kind of a drag. Yeah, that was the first national global hit, yeah. Kind of a drag When you, baby, don't love you Kind of a drag When you know she's been untrue Tell me how that came about. Well, uh, we were doing a Dick Clark show in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago at the stadium. It was, and all the major acts that he had coming in would perform in the evening. And one band that was a Chicago band called The Mob uh, were a great show band. Uh, they could play anything, but they were more R&B-ish. Uh, and, uh, but the, the, the guitar player, Jim Hovey, uh, heard us play because all the local bands got to play for free in the afternoon as a showcase, you know, get up there and people will see you and stuff. So. We went and played, the, it was three weekends, it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So uh, he came up to us on Sunday and said, look, he said, I think I have a song uh, that might be good for you guys. He says, I wrote it, but I, he's, it's not, not, I don't think it'll fit my band, but I, it's a good song and, you know, why don't you give it a listen? So he gave us this little three-inch tape, this little round tape uh, with him singing with acoustic guitar, and it, and it was kind of a drag. And so we took it and, you know, worked it out and rehearsed it and, and got it down. And we started playing it live and, and people would stop dancing at the dances and, and watch us when we sang this song. And it was an original song, which a lot of people didn't, weren't familiar with, with original songs. They always heard somebody else's song. And so th it was a, it was a great step, a little scary for us because we were kind of all like all bands then were cover bands, you know, you play yeah. other material to get work. So we, we, we did this and, uh, and sure enough, uh, one of the live gigs we did, the DJ that was spinning the records saw the whole audience stop dancing and stand in front of the stage and just watch us. And we didn't know what that meant. We, we thought maybe we're not a good <laughs> dance band. I don't know, <laughs> but, but, but it turned out to be that they were somehow wrapped in the magic of that song. And so we, uh, you know, we, we went to the record company and we and we we recorded, we got a deal on USA Records and we recorded like 12 sides and kind of a drag was one of them. And uh, and so uh, the record company kept telling us that they didn't like the song. And we kept saying, no, there's something magical about this. Even we get chills when we play it. You know, there's something about the song. And uh, they said, well, we don't like it. So a year later, they released it. It took them a year. Yeah, it took them a year. They released it in uh, 66, uh, November of 66, as I remember. And, we, and, they, and they stopped our contract too. It was like the last <laughs> side and, they, and we were gone. We had no record label and we had this record out there that they didn't even promote because they didn't like it. They just had to release it because of the contract. So all of a sudden that was November 66, February of 67, it was number one with a bullet. Unbelievable. It, not, it knocked the monkeys and the stones right out of first and second place. And now the record label loved you, right? Well, no, they, they, they even, uh, well, they're gone now. Uh, and uh, there's nothing we can do about it. But they, but they, uh, 
but they actually uh, undercounted when the uh, RIAA came uh, to, to, to confirm a gold record. Uh, they uh, they showed uh, less sales than they really had, so they didn't have to pay us. Shocking! I can't believe that a record yeah, label would do it's something. Hard like to that. believe, huh? <laughs> and uh, so, consequently, uh, to this day, we're still uh, dealing with uh, with that company to get our gold record. Wow! Because uh, they found out that it was after they audited them. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, that was the kind of a drag story. And I'll tell you, that's when and Jim Holvey came up, wrote "Don't You Care," "Hey Baby," they're playing our song, and Susan. And he just gave Don't You Care, and then we recorded that. And then he gave us another song, and he gave us another song. So we, we had the, 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 the luxury of having a songwriter who was uh, just systematically giving us hit records uh, with the songs that we could actually bring our sound to. And, uh, and that, that was thrill. So the second big hit that you had after Kind of a Drag, it was Don't You Care, right? Yeah, yeah, that was the follow-up, yeah. All the other guys in town, can't you see? You're hurting me, don't you care? Don't you care? If you don't want me. Now, how long after Kind of a Drag did you release that? Because back in those days, they used to just crank them out, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, like, well, you know, uh, in 67, Billboard magazine said that we were the most listened to band in America because you couldn't turn on the radio without one of our singles being played. It's true. It's true. Columbia just threw the records out faster than, than a speeding bullet. And we kept, we actually at one point after, after Don't You Care, we said, well, could you give us a little bit more space, you know, a little bit more longevity to our career, you know, because we're, we're flying at there. But we, we never thought it was going to end either. So we were we were okay with putting it out there because then we could tour and we, we worked a lot. So uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a strange time, a strange time for uh, uh, being out there. Cause every time we were on the road, we'd get off a plane, get in our rental car and we'd hear another release of ours. And we'd go, <laughs> wait a second. In other words, they were just putting it out without even telling you that it, it was coming out, huh? Oh yeah. They were just, they were just cranking it out. Of course the sixties, they were cranking out everybody. You know, I mean, that was like uh, that was a time when especially Columbia was signing a lot of acts because Columbia used to be very conservative and uh, they were signing a lot of 60s bands that were a little bit out there, you know, some psychedelic stuff and Bob Dylan and, and stuff that was a little different than you know, the old days. So, uh, yeah, they, they were they were they had they had their foot pedal to the metal, so to speak, you know, and uh, we weren't complaining. I mean, it was great to have, you know, that kind of. Uh, volume of work coming out because it, it guaranteed us concerts constantly you know so uh we were fine there you kept working for sure oh yeah all right the third one was mercy 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 am i correct yeah
Tell me how that one came about, because, again, it started off as an instrumental hit. And then the next thing you know, you guys turned it into a pop hit. Yeah, uh, the uh, we were doing our first album for Columbia called Time and Charges. And uh, when you're doing an album, you you know, we had like three hits on, on the album already. And we were looking for other songs to do to fill, you know, things that are a little bit different than the singles to put on the album. And uh, we got this demo from Johnny Guitar Watson and, and Larry Williams. And, uh, and we were freaked out because it said, mercy, mercy, mercy. And we went, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? And so we read the lyric and we loved it. We went, oh my God, this fits perfectly. It doesn't make the song too poppy. It's still, the song still has its own integrity, you know? And so uh, Marty Greb, our keyboard player and I sang the duet on it. And, uh, and then somebody at Columbia heard the track and said, look, this is too good for just an album. He said, we got to release this as a single. And we were a little bit cautious about it because it, it was a departure for us to have that kind of jazz crossover uh, in, our, in our world. But even Don't You Care had some jazzier chords in it and, and it was a little bit more unpop. And so Mercy Mercy just seemed like a natural thing and nobody reacted to it. Uh, like, what do you guys think you're doing? Uh, and it just became a really good, to this day, it's people go nuts when I do Mercy Mercy. It's, it's, it really does fit into the pop world because the song is so powerful. And strangely enough, uh, years flashing forward, years ahead, I was doing my Bobby Darren show at this club here in LA called Catalina Jazz Club. And we were doing sound check and, and, and sound checks can be really, as you know, can be a little misgiving, you know, but we, we were doing this and, and the, the young guy came out from the booth and walked up to the stage and he was the sound guy. And, and I said, Hey man, I said, this is already sounding good. And we haven't even really told you anything about the, you know, the mix. And he says, Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I said, what's your name? And he goes, Ivan Zawinol. Really? And I said, Zawinol. I said, Joe Zawinol's son? He goes, yeah. He says, uh, Joe was my dad, you know, and he had passed already. But, uh, and he said, yeah, he says, it's really great to meet you. He said, because I used to be on the road with my dad and I used to sit on his lap in the car and their song would come on and I'd say, dad, who's singing your song? Who is that singing your song? And it was great to meet Ivan. Ivan was, he's a great, great musician, great sound guy. And uh, he has his own um, business going on, but it was that was kind of like that full circle stuff where Isn't that you go, this was destiny. You know, how, how, can, how can I now walk up to this jazz club years later and meet the son of the guy who wrote the song? And he liked it. 
you know, it was a great song, both as a jazz song, as an instrumental and your version. They were both great. OK, yeah, it was so great that the Buccaneers had him in the set list. <laughs> my high great. school band. That's it's interesting that you said Buccaneers. That was your band, because some people make the mistake. There was a guy uh, in I think it was West Virginia. He's, he kept coming up to me. He was the DJ, the announcer. And he says, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. Dennis Stefano to the Buckinghams and kind of a drag. You know, I said, yeah, that's perfect. You're perfect. Uh-huh. So he goes up and for the show and goes, OK, everybody, welcome. Dennis Tofini from the Buccaneers <laughs> with King of a Drag. That was the end. And, and I'll tell you, we didn't play for about three minutes because we were on the floor laughing. I can imagine. The whole, the whole thing from end to end was wrong. Too and, much. Uh, but when you said you were in the Buccaneers, I, I almost exploded over there. So, uh, All right. So after Mercy, 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 the next big, big hit was Hey Baby, They're Playing Our Song. Let's get back together, that's where we belong It's the one with the pretty melody It's the one that made you fall in love with me It made us feel so groovy We fell in love, just like in the movie Tell us about that one. That, well, that's another Jim Holvey song. See, it's uh, he uh, he came to us and uh, and said, "Look, I got this other song and stuff." And we listened to it. We said, "Yeah, this sounds like it's in our wheelhouse." You know, I mean, it, we were so excited to have one songwriter giving us all those hits because there was a consistency in it. Was he in the group, or he was just a, no, a songwriter? No, he was he was a songwriter, guitar player in this group called the Mob. Okay, uh, and they used to open the show in Vegas for all kinds of people. They they were like massively big. Uh, and a great show band. You know, one of the first horn bands I ever heard in Chicago was was the Mob. Was a good name for for Las Vegas too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, perfect. You know, I know. I always say things like, "Yeah, it was a guy, a guitar player in a band called the Mob from Chicago," and everybody goes, "Oh." <laughs> yeah. uh, but he was he's great. I uh, and he wrote them all about uh, one girl. All those songs are about the same girl, Susan, which is coming up later. And uh, and so uh, when you listen to the lyrics to all those songs, it is the same thing as I love you. You broke my heart, but I still love you. It's every song is about that. Susan, looks like I'm losing. I'm losing my mind. I'm wasting my time. Susan, do you have to be confused? I ask myself why you're saying goodbye No other girl could ever take the place of you Though you hurt me, you know I'll always be thinking of you Isn't that interesting? And I found those stories to be great to sing because they weren't regular pop kind of ideology. You know, they, they, they weren't just about my baby's got the greatest look at me. And, you know, <laughs> we just, we, we had something, a story to tell, you know, why don't you love me? 
well, what's going on? Actually, that was another title of one of the songs he wrote on our album, our first album. He wrote five songs and, uh, and some of them were more garage band sounding because that's what was going on at the time. But uh, yeah, that's uh, he wrote them uh, about the same girl. And I find it to be it's like a, a, a novel with four chapters. Isn't that interesting? See, we, nobody knew that until you just announced it here. Now the whole world knows this. Ah, God bless the world. I like that. Fantastic. Is he still with Susan? Ah, uh, no, no. Matter of fact, <laughs> we had <laughs> no. Uh, it lasted about nine months, and uh, and we have lunch. We have lunch every once in a while because he lives out here in the West Coast too. And uh, so we went to lunch once, and he was like just kind of reminiscing about the old days and the songs. And he said, "Yeah," he says, "Boy, Susan," he says, "I really love that girl, you know." And he said, she broke my heart. He says, they were only like nine months. And says, I, I, I wish I could have been longer with her. And I said, Jim, Jim, wake up. I said, she gave you four hit records that lasted over 55 years. That's, <laughs> come on. She's a love. I love her. I love, she's a great girl. You I'm glad thank she her broke for your heart. Yes, I'm glad she broke your heart. So speaking 55 years. I mean, when you were recording this stuff, you're in the mid 60s. How long did you think it was going to last? Oh, I had no idea. Had no idea. Uh, the, the pace that we were at was uh, ridiculous. We were on and off planes every other day. We were flying here, flying there, uh, doing uh, the uh, 1966 uh, Montreal uh, Fest thing they had up there with the, you know, the, the World Center's show whatever it was and and it, like we were like everywhere on ed sullivan we're on jerry lewis show we're on we're sunny and Cher. we were like gone we just couldn't believe how we we'd arrive we do what we had to do and they'd whisk us off to another place another station or another radio station and we were just going so there was no projection forward we were so much stuck in the current you didn't have time to think even huh yeah, and you know things got got weirder later, uh, with uh, which is not unusual for the '60s music stories. But uh, the you know we uh, we actually broke up in 1970, and uh, I always say we we broke up in 1970 because we had to because we were a '60s band. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there was a law, but uh, it, that's the way it came out. Uh, but yeah, it was just bad business, you know, bad management, bad production, bad stealing money, different stuff like that. It just drove us to the point where we couldn't fight anymore. Uh, we were in the last year of the band was like litigation. Huh. And so we kept fighting and fighting to get our rights back and, and publishing and all kinds of stuff that was slipped under the door from us. Uh, and uh, and what, what it turned out to be is like we had to disband. We couldn't go on because we were. We were, our reputation was poisoned with Clive Davis uh, on Columbia and, uh, and our producer manager was, uh, was using us to get uh, himself in there. So it, it, we saw that we were at a, at a turning point and we just couldn't face the, the, the it was kind of negative shit going on. So we, uh, we just disbanded and, uh, and we, we, we tried to play a little bit uh, for about another year, just to pay off the lawyers, uh, but uh, but we uh, but yeah, the band actually broke up seventy seventy one, and uh, we all went our different ways for a while. It's the story of rock and roll, right? Yeah, yeah. Bands form, they make it big, 
somebody rips them off or multiple oh, yeah. people rip them off and then they just fade. Yeah, nobody knows. It's just they, they, they think that we stopped or something like that. And But we were definitely, uh, you know, kind of uh, blacklisted with Clive Davis because he, he was told some lies. And uh, we, we went and talked with him. And at the end of our talk, he just said, well, there's a problem here, uh, blah, 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 blah. And it, it just was, we, we, were, we, were, we were messed around. We were mugged out of the business, really. And so, uh, so I, but luckily, you know, we all still had uh, a positive take on it. I mean, I, I just totally disappeared for about a year and a half. Uh, I couldn't believe that it was over. And, uh, and so, uh, but, but the guitar player, Carl G. Marisi and myself started writing about a year after that. And uh, we, uh, as a songwriting duo. And so uh, we, uh, we got a deal, we got a record deal with the Lou Adler on Ode Records. Uh, he produced Tapestry and Cheech and Chong and Tom Scott and all these people. And uh, he loved our stuff and he recorded three albums with us. Uh, we didn't have, we had some charted hits, but nothing is like, it wasn't anything like the Buckinghams really. And so, but then that after uh, three albums, we stopped doing that. And, uh, but that's, you know, we'd have to back up a little bit to talk about the story now. But you know what? You had quite a run, okay? With all of those hits, you had like a five or six year run right in the sixties. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I mean, congratulations. Cause not so many guys had that kind of a run. No, no. And it was, uh, you know, uh, yeah, today it, it plays out really well. The people can now come up to you and tell you what, what connection to their lives the songs are. Right. And it's just amazing when I sit there thinking three minutes of something we did has affected these people so much. And that's that's really that takes away all that pain of having to break up the band because of business. Uh, it, it takes away all that pain that we actually because we felt when we were that, we, that it was over, that we weren't valid, that we weren't good enough to go on. You know, otherwise, why can't we just keep going, you know? And uh, so now it's it's coming home to Ruth saying, no, you guys did a good job and yeah. we still like the music, you know. Listen, it, it's lasted for decades. Yeah. And as you said, it's made an impact on so many lives. Mm -hmm. And I think most of the guys from that era, they never imagined that this was going to continue as long oh, as it no. did. I remember I interviewed John Lodge from the Moody Blues not too long ago. And he was telling me that, you know, when he was 20, 21, he said, maybe we'll get another year or so out of this. He says, I had no idea that it was going to last for 50 plus years. Yeah, yeah. It's there was a big leap, a big giant step that happened uh, in the late 60s. And a lot of bands like them and, and, and really, uh, which is why we were, were struggling with, you know, litigation, because there was a, there was a the highway was opening up. And, and we felt that we, we, our last album we did for uh, Columbia was called Portraits. And that was our Sergeant Pepper. And we really worked hard on that album and stuff. And, uh, and a lot of people to this day now are reviewing that album saying, oh my God, we never thought the Buckinghams had all this in them too. Uh, and we wrote almost 80% of the stuff on the album and it was gonna be our next step it was going to take us to that next, and that's when all of the uh, the building came down. You know, wow. 
listen, there's nothing much you can do about it now, but you can look back on it with satisfaction, as you've said, that you influenced a lot of people and you made a lot of lives better. What more can you say? Yeah, and, and, and I'm still singing, so I can't complain about that. I have the best job in the world. I make people smile at the end of my job. All right, let's talk about that because I want to get to what you're doing nowadays. Are you still singing? You're still playing? Tell us about that. I'm still playing the oldie shows. You know, it's like all of the pop rock and doo-wop shows. And, uh, and, I, and I'm working with all those artists from the 60s that are still like Brian Hyland, Chris Montez, uh, Jay and the Americans, the, the Vogues, just amazing people. Uh, Lou Christie, you know, uh, it was just, just I, I've got to, to, to play with all of my uh, people I idolize, you know what I mean? And, yep. and so I, and, and now, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm not a Buckingham anymore because two of the guys in the band started the band again in the 80s, but I was already a solo for a number of years and I couldn't erase that and go back and just be a Buckingham again. I was pretty much being myself. And uh, so they, I told them, I said, no, you guys go ahead and do it. I said, you know, be the band, keep the music alive. And, uh, but that caused some confusion later down the road too. Yeah. Uh, people, people didn't know who I was. And well, we already saw the Buckinghams. Who are, are you? you allowed to use the name when you go yeah, out there? Yeah, without, well, legally I'm allowed to say Dennis Stefano, the original voice I of see. the Buckinghams. Okay. Because that's fact. And so, so I do that, but you know, uh, we, we overcame all that, that kind of weird legal stuff early on. And, uh, and I just kept going out there and I'm, I do my show, they do their show. And, you know, uh, uh, I just happened to be the voice that you recognize when I sing the songs and God bless my throat for staying intact. There are so many bands that are in the same position. In fact, even the Beach Boys, I, I read not too long ago, there's dueling Beach Boys out oh, there. Oh, yeah, just terrible, terrible stuff, yeah. So the fact of the matter is, I'm sure when people hear you singing these songs, they know that you're the guy, you made them famous, and uh, you're still out there. That's what counts. Oh, yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, I, I had no idea that I would ever be at, you know, in my 70s singing the hits I did in the 60s. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I keep thinking that we should we should all get together and call the band the Walkers. <laughs> the still walking. <laughs> still walking. And uh, no, but that, and I'll tell you, it's, it's definitely uh, given me a jolt uh, in life to, to actually, you know, still remain the singer that I was and, and have the, you know, the people remember it this long ago. And uh, it's 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 great. I'm so grateful that I'm I can go out and do this. I mean, I did walk away for a little while because there was nothing a 30 year old singer could do for a while, and uh, so that's when I went into acting, and because that was another love of mine that I that I was dabbling in, and so I just went into acting for like almost 15 years, and did theater and did commercials, did some small parts here and there and stuff, and. But it was it would it made me a living and it was happy to do it because I loved that process. I love getting together like a band with a bunch of people and making one product. And that's what acting was like too. It's like, and of course doing theater. I did theater for three years here. And uh, and it was just like being on stage live singing, except you didn't have to yell to go over the band. <laughs> you just had to talk to people on stage. Good so it it all worked out pretty nice. I mean, I, I really can't complain much. And uh, it's great. It's great to be out there. Uh, I just got back from Erie, Pennsylvania, 
with Jane and the Americans and Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Uh, it was great. It's, it's great to sit back and watch these people play because a lot of them are older than me now. It's nice to know that everybody is still around and is still playing and that people are appreciating it. Oh, yeah. We have been speaking here with Dennis Tufano, the original voice of the Buckinghams that had so many hits in the 1960s. And if it wasn't for them, my band, the Buccaneers, would have a gap in our set list, I promise you. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dennis. And we're going to listen now to the song that I played at the beginning. As we said, we play it again at the end. It's my song called Cannonball. And I want to thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks so much, Dennis. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.